This is the Roaring Elephant podcast, and we're back today with our busy bee reporter, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hello. Yes, <laughs> I have red masonry bees that have made a home in my uh, one of my windows, which is delightful, and I will have to relocate them, but I'm sure it'll all be fine. Be fine. Yeah, <laughs> pun intended, right? <laughs> Pun actually unintended, then I called it. Uh, so, yeah, there we go. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Um, we're interspersing our cultural uh, company culture episodes with some uh, more lighthearted news episodes. So this is one of those. We've got a bit of a cream of the crop today. Um, maybe. I'm not oh, sure about cream uh, of the crop. It's emerging somewhere. <laughs> okay, too far away. Fair enough. But before we go into that, just a little note. This is episode 250. We've got our quarter millennial. Quarter century? No. No, quarter millennium. Yeah. Wow. (sighs) Yes, 250 episodes of us talking about things that we talk about. Interesting things. Here's the 251. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, this is 250. 251 is next week. We'll see if we'll make that. Yeah, no, that's why I said, so here's two, 251, as in, moving on. Okay, fair enough, moving on. <laughs> so yes, our, our, first, uh, our first news article today is around uh, how willing are enterprise leaders to use top emerging technologies. Uh, so let's see how top these are. Um, so 59% of uh of is it executives or is it just leadership hmm. mm-hmm. 404,541 professionals hmm. okay so we won't we don't know exactly who but anyway 59% of them are using cloud good for them 34% using ai and and 27% using iot i think i don't really does this mean that uh, so nearly 60% of people are using cloud, only 34% using artificial intelligence, and only 27% using a, uh, using IoT. I'm not really sure what this is trying, apart from the fact that everybody's, well, not everybody, but most people are using cloud. Uh, I'm not really sure what this stat is actually supposed to tell you. Well, it's talking about, as the title says, enterprise leaders using top emerging technologies and how willing they are. And apparently, for what I see here, it's not exactly about how willing they are, but how forced they are. I mean, I I would even I would even poke at this emerging technologies thing. Like, do you do you really in this day and age think cloud is an emerging technology? I do. Really? But the fact, of course, that 60% already has it, it's it's very advanced emergence, <laughs> let's call it that. Um, but advanced on the other hand, emerging. I kind of read this article in the idea that they're looking at emergent technologies that have kind of proven themselves. Not the latest fad, not, not blockchain, sorry, <laughs> couldn't resist, uh, but things that actually are being used, have broken through, they're across the chasm, that kind of, they're not ubiquitous. Not everybody uses this, especially if you look at the artificial intelligence. I mean, there's plenty of people. I think 34 actually is kind of high. And again, mm. let's hear the discussion about 
what does adoption mean? Does it mean they're thinking of doing something with it? They're thinking that they should do something with it or they actually are doing something with it? There's a very big uh, spread of possibilities there. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it makes sense to have cloud in there because it's still something that uh, in my day-to-day -day job, I spend a lot of talks. I mean, I focus at the moment on government and public sector kind of stuff, which is a little bit more hesitant towards all these open, uh, everybody can get at my stuff, the technologies, a bit more secure perhaps, and I can definitely agree, uh, definitely attest that I'm still, I'm not going to say convince people to go to cloud, because that's not what I do, but at least inform people what the benefits and problems are when you actually move to cloud, because uh, none of these three actually solve any problem. They're just tools that you can use to solve a problem. Okay. But I said I'm, something wrong. Here. I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> I'm just. I know. I just. I just disagree. I think if if nearly sixty percent of people are using something, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't categorize that as an emerging technology anymore. It's time to. It's time to say cloud is here. So if if we were to accept my premise, and I know that you don't, but if we were to accept it, what do you think the other third, like? emerging technology could be if we if we if we were to say cloud is here it's no longer emerging and we'd say oh artificial ai 34 percent using that iot 27 percent of people using that what would be the third technology that you would you think would be on this list and uh, don't say blockchain and then laugh uh no definitely not because no. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you talk, the first thing that came into mind was VR and AR. I'm not entirely sure if that's across the chasm mm. yet. No, it definitely hasn't. It definitely hasn't. And it does seem to be in a, in a pit again. I mean, VR kind of had a resurgence when the Oculus and the Facebook uh, kind of went mm. stuff and Steam, uh, Valve had their thing coming, especially particularly in the gaming uh, environments, of course. Yeah. You had uh, Microsoft pushing their HoloLens a bit more. Amazon's also looking at stuff. Apple's looking at stuff. Sony was looking at stuff. Last couple of years, and even before the pandemics, I would even say, the whole VR thing kind of uh, went away. 3D TV went <laughs> again. I I don't I don't know that that's entirely fair. Like in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot more. I, I think we have seen it incrementally moving forwards. There's mm -hmm. been uh, incremental kind of improvements on the hardware, better resolution, well, better refresh alone. rates, um, fewer like uh, less need for external sensors to inform positioning like there's been a lot of i would say quality of life improvements to to vr slash ar mm -hmm. um more well no to, to vr let's let's talk about these two things separately a little bit i i think it's i don't think it's gone away but i i would agree that i don't think that there's been any like huge leaps forward in in VR, especially in VR and enterprise. Like I, I don't, I remember using um, VR systems probably hmm, two decades ago or thereabouts, and it was a system that, if I remember rightly, was provided by GE, General Electric, um, for sort of partially education, but also um, as a 
um, replacement, if you, or not replacement, augmentation for um, uh, like an assembly and was it assembly and um, maintenance manuals. Mm -hmm. And this was for um, jet aircraft, uh, sorry, jet engines. Yeah. And you could lit, you would literally be in this kind of VR environment. And by today's standards, yes, it looked still quite crude. It was actually not as bad as you might expect, though, because it had some <laughs> ridiculously powerful um, server hardware on the back end that was driving this. There was a huge amount of, you know, Silicon Graphics hardware, if I remember correctly, yeah. behind the scenes driving all of this. Um, so it was it was actually fairly good, and you could indeed manipulate um, sort of uh, elements of the of the aircraft engine and move them about and all that sort of thing. So, but I, I've not really seen it move much beyond that sort of a little niche service that pops up here and there. I know that. Uh, um, there's a, a bunch of, you know, moving more into the AR space, there's people doing AR sort of meeting spaces mm. and things like that. Now, that's, there's been a, I think there's three or four of these things that... Yeah, uh, but that's not VR or AR, that's just... No, no. No, 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 AR. It is, it, it's true AR. Uh, sorry, no, it's true VR, sorry. Gimmick. Oh, God, VR, AR, make, getting my... No, it, it is true VR. You you literally have a, a bitmap face of your face mapped over an avatar and you can look over and look at your colleague who also has a face and you know the mouth moves roughly um yeah but are you wearing a headset speech yeah yeah you're okay. wearing a headset do you want to wear a headset in a video conference <laughs> well i mean when when what you're seeing is the the representation of a whiteboard a web browser and a, yeah, but they're not um, that comfortable. Those things and a demo like floating in midair, you know, with with your your video conferencing buddy that you're talking to next to you as you're waving around and doodling things and doing yeah. whatever. But what's the added value here for VR? I mean, what what does that give me that a screen or two monitors couldn't give me? I think there is so again i'm speaking secondhand on this it's not something that i've done but i've been chatting to a couple of people that have done it and they are they were both very skeptical going in mm -hmm. and are both absolute believers having experienced it they they use words like immersive and feels like you're there and uh it that i i think it's it's especially in this last you know 18 months or so when we've all been very socially distant and most people haven't traveled you know, hardly at all people are starting to travel in some places now but um this sort of experience of actually feeling like you're in a room with someone and talking to them about business problems and sketching things and despite the fact that you're you know hundreds or potentially even thousands of miles away is apparently and i say i'm i'm only talking about this second hand uh, maybe we should uh both get headsets and try it but uh apparently it is actually um very impressive and it does really change the way that the the meeting or session feels now yeah but how much is this is how that, that would work and how much of that is actually measurable <sighs> production enhancement 
Sure, sure. But then, like, I, as as uh, viewers viewing our YouTube stream can see, like, I have my uh, my camera at a at a different angle to most folks. My camera is significantly above me and further away from me, and it's a pan tilt zoom camera, so I'm able to change the framing of of what my video looks like. And the first time that someone, I speak to someone in the video conference, the first time my video connects, they're like, wow, that's a really unique, like different view of things. People are so used to seeing the standard, you know, webcam dead center in front of people uh, on top of a monitor or such and such, that having a different view of things actually makes people pay attention uh, and makes people engage. Uh, that's been my experience, and that's just positioning a camera in a different location. So, you know, it, I think I, I, I say I don't know. I haven't tried this experience, but I I think it's it's something that sounds like it's worth exploring. Mm. Whether it's worth the hundreds of pounds, euros, dollars that you time. need to invest in, and well, yeah, there's there's the money and the time investment. But whether it's worth that is another question entirely, and of course. Uh, our lizard overlord Zuck uh, announced that uh, he was going to be putting uh, adverts into the uh, the Facebook uh, VR headset so that you get <laughs> you get adverts in VR because of course it's Facebook. Uh, who'd expect? Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, who'd have thunk it? Really, but anyway, so surprising. Coming back anyway, to the topic, perhaps um, the whole idea for me that the VR hadn't uh, moved on was because I didn't look at the hardware, but at the use cases, at the usage of the thing. Yeah, you're you're I giving a use fair. case there about uh, conferencing. Yep, that's a new use case. It's not one that I think is really going to be the merit that merits VR's emergence. Mm -hmm. But I did think of another okay. one though, and that's in the medical mm -hmm. world, the remote operations through VR yeah. kind of things. Yeah, and that's more AR as well. I think they're not yes. fully uh, yeah. obscured. That is more AR, and that's. Yep getting quite a bit of traction these days so mm. i think i'm just going to stand by my vr ar as the third one yeah. a, i think i think vr and ar is a is a great um a great emerging category i fully agree with you yeah but you have to find one now too and you can't use this one. Oh, <laughs> really <laughs> um but you've stolen the literally I know. stolen the best one <laughs> well i stole the one i knew you were going to say uh, okay. Well, I might have to come back to that. I'll, I'll think about it in slow time, and uh, mm. we'll see if I can come up with something by the end of the episode. And maybe just about the but, numbers here again. Uh, the one thing that surprised yeah. me about these numbers is uh, cloud sixty percent, artificial intelligence thirty four. Okay, kind of separate, linked to whatever. But IoT twenty seven, which is half of cloud. How can yeah. you have so low IoT and such high cloud? Either it's just that people don't recognize all the IoT as being IoT or I don't know that this that I, I, I sense the disturbance in the force there well uh, I I'm not sure because again like there's no we don't know who these four and a half thousand people were we don't know which organizations companies whatever they represent so it's it's entirely possible that this is somewhat skewed because of who was interviewed slash questioned. Mm. I, I I don't know, but yeah, it's a little bit 
puzzling. Still, I'd expect I actually IT think to be like the least... AI. Yeah, go ahead. Right. I'd expect the IT to be at least uh, two thirds, up to the forty no. percent. So I mean, well. no, no, I, 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 maybe I'm more pessimistic on on a widespread adoption of IoT, but I, I think I, I honestly think that even twenty seven percent feels like weirdly high to me. But anyway. Okay. Um, Again, it just depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to a bunch of industrial people, I would expect IoT to be much, much higher. If you're talking to a bunch of you know standard enterprise organizations, I would probably expect IoT to be much lower. Uh, I don't know. The AI, AI. I wonder how much of that is uh, people say, "Oh yeah, we're adopting AI because they've they've got some SaaS platform service that has been AI washed." And says no includes AI with 100% extra fiber and vitamin C, and they just go, yeah, we're we're using AI. You go. Our you have to go system. back to my predictions from four years ago. Chatbots are Can't everywhere. Tell us, tell us about them. Tell us about them. Chatbots, they're everywhere. Chatbots True. use NLP, and NLP uses artificial intelligence. So, and every company worth its salt has a chatbot on their website these days. Some of them actually work kind of okay-ish. At least they know how when to move me onto a human. So that's a good thing. Um, but they're everywhere. So, and that's typical, that's typical of the AI application. It's NLP. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that will work. So that's one. Yeah. Also, bigger, the biggest CRM systems, I'm not going to name any brands, but you know what I'm talking about. They also have all of this, uh, yeah, chatbotty cognitive knowledge-based kind of approach to things, it's getting everywhere. But that's all domesticated AI. I mean, AI as a service, yeah. as a no product. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think there's a differentiation here as well to say I'm using artificial AI or I'm using a product that has some AI in it. And mm. I don't think they make a distinction here because if you look no, at people that are actually doing artificial intelligence or real data science, yeah. never going to be 30%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Fully agreed. So uh, we've, we've managed to talk a lot about three numbers. This is, uh, <laughs> this is typical uh, for us. But what, what the, thing that actually draw, the thing that actually drew me to this article is, is the piece that's on the screen right now, which is um, biggest factors motivating emerging technology implementation. And for those of you that have been listening through 250 episodes of the uh, Roaring Elephant podcast, First of all, thank you. Second of all, really, 250? Have you not got something better to do? Uh, and third, thank you again um, for not having anything better to do. And thank you for your support. But for those of you that have been listening along, uh, you'll probably have heard me say more than once, probably hundreds of times even, that when it comes to... Well, I was going to say when it comes to technology adoption, but really when it comes to almost anything, uh, it should be either saving you money or making you money or both. Okay, can I interrupt you there? You can. You just cause the extinction of a human race. Babies. They, they shouldn't make you money because if they are, you're enslaving them. And it definitely costs a lot of money. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway... Um, surprise, surprise, uh, the top reason 
for, uh, at least according to this article, for uh, adopting one of these emerging technologies or some of these emerging technologies is anticipated cost savings, 73%. And uh, net new revenue stream and ability to reach new customers, 50% each. So I'm, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it, I say that's that's fully success on uh, on the uh, one of the several catchphrases we use here a lot. Um, but then the ones in the middle are also like not terribly surprising. So improved cybersecurity, 57%. Uh, there's a new breach, there's a new hack, there's a new whatever pretty much every day of the week at this point. Uh, people are found with their pants down with their around their ankles and their network blown open and all sorts of apologies and all that sort of thing. So no real surprise that enterprises are adopting emerging technologies for improved cybersecurity. Although I do wonder, uh, you know, how IoT, for example, is uh, is improving cybersecurity. I can definitely see people going to cloud so they don't have to wrangle as much thing as many things themselves and, and potentially more rigor there provides them with better cybersecurity. And I can definitely see AI uh, being branded as improving cybersecurity. Whether it actually does or not is another matter entirely, but uh, that's a debate for another day. Um, regulatory requirements. I. It almost seems like the reasons here, I'm not sure the reasons here align with the technologies. Maybe they do. Maybe regulatory requirements in cloud. Maybe it's easier to go and deploy something in cloud than it is to wrangle all the regulatory compli- uh, requirements yourself and just rely on a service provider instead. Well, for cloud, I mean, it actually surprises me that improved cybersecurity gets in line with cloud because basically that's one of the reasons people don't want to go to cloud, the perceived or real <coughs> to the listener insecurity of loss of control basically so maybe this works the the thing i'm afraid of here is that it's the passing the buck mentality i'm putting everything on the cloud now the cloud provider is in charge of my security and if i get breached i didn't do it talk to them which is a terrible way of thinking i think that's two things in one sentence yeah but i i think that i think you're right but i I hope that most organizations, I, for me, it, it's mostly about education. It's the, uh, you're right, like the the initial FUD around moving to cloud, oh, it's it's less secure, it's out of my control. But I think we've, we've had this conversation a couple of times over the 250 episodes, that, um, that actually because the cloud providers are doing this at such massive scale. Really, they they have the uh, ability in many cases to do this significantly better than most individual organizations could run this themselves. I'd agree, but because of their scale, there's also the added disadvantage that if they fail on something, they fail sure. on a massive scale. And we quite recently had the uh, Fastly CDN thing going down because of a bug discovered in the configuration 
whatever the reason was, it had a massive yeah. effect worldwide because it was one of those big companies that everybody entrusted with that part of the yeah. of the service thing. So I yeah. agree, because of the size, the massiveness, they'll need to do their homework because if they get sued, they get sued big. But if it goes wrong, it immediately becomes very, very important. But we, we see this all the time, don't we? We see, I mean, all the time is possibly a little overzealous, but we see, you know, cloud uh, providers having outages and all of a sudden large chunks of the internet go screaming into the night and like that's it doesn't happen you know incredibly often but it happens often enough that it's a thing mm -hmm. and I suppose the question that most people have when it comes to these kind of things is well how much how much do I invest in there being a plan B for this? How much do I invest in um, disaster recovery, high availability mm. um, of all of these services? You know, do I do I deploy an entire you know Fastly and Akamai CDN service so if the one fails, I can rely on the other? Or, I mean. Each individual organization will will have to make that justification themselves. You know, if you're a a provider for a nine one one or nine 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 emergency or one one two, I think uh, emergency service provider, you probably need to have all the bells and whistles and redundancies and everything in place because literally that goes wrong, people die. And if it you're happens from time to time that it goes down. Yeah, it, yeah, but if if you are a uh, a purveyor of widgets to people that want to buy widgets online at widgetsonline.com. Important. Um, important, clearly. Everyone needs widgets. And if you haven't got your widgets, get your widgets to game yeah, today for a 10% discount code. Quote, ROAR at the checkout. Uh, I have no idea if <laughs> widgets online exists. Probably. If it does, yeah, who knows. Anyway, um, this is not sponsored by Widgets Online. Uh, so... If <laughs> you're not looking to see if widgetsonline.com exists. Um, but if you, like, the, there's no right or wrong answer to this. This is the, one of like these enterprise architecture questions that are as old as time. Like there's no, there's no standard that says you must invest, you know, you must have dual, triple, quadruple redundancy for everything. Uh, that's not true. Um, oh, no, no, that's, that's you're right. There are regulations for certain yeah, more and more. certain services, and yeah. Again, but uh, I mean the government space enterprises. here, and for government stuff, they've uh, in, in the Netherlands at least they've got the the BIO, for instance, that actually says for certain levels of com of, of organization important organizational importance, you need to have yeah. this 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 in place, and that's actually quite stringent. And I think you actually here hit on the fact how the regulatory requirements fits with cloud because when you talked about oh maybe we'll need some disaster recovery thing okay will i as a company start up a second data center or will i use a cloud for my data yeah. so that's where i think yeah. uh, that's a nice uh, yeah connection but for most most enterprise organizations shall i say there are it's up to you how much you invest in your uh, in the availability of your service well, it, it's, As, uh, again like if we're it, to go back to widgets online which you still haven't told me whether they exist, exist or not ah oh, there we go we can register it and start our widget business it's cyber squad um, so it's but, going to be expensive 
<laughs> oh, damn it. So, I mean, if if we if we were to st- steal away widgets online from from its current cyber squatter and start a widgets online business, like we could decide to just have a single host hosting widgets online website with a you know a single back end and that would be absolutely fine yeah but as always it's a cost analysis right whether it be a, a governmental thing or a enterprise thing how much does it cost you if you're not online if you're not available if the service is yeah. down and the moment exactly. that that becomes a higher number than the cost of preventing it yep. that's where your roi comes in that's the same old yeah. story again that's when you start exactly looking at these right. things and there are a couple of exceptions for example the the 112 number the, the emergency numbers hopefully they don't make money on those calls that would be kind of bad <laughs> um so there is no real roi there except in human life but sadly human life is quite cheap these days i must um, sorry pessimism here um but there are exceptions but typically for enterprises that's the cost analysis you have to make. How much does it cost me if I'm down? And how much does it cost me to prevent that? And you'll never get the 100% closure. I mean, we all know in disaster recovery, when you go to the 99%, that's fairly cheap. 99.9, mm. 99.99, ooh. An extra nine miles to the coma, ooh. You need to have a big bank yeah. account. Yeah, with, with I think uh, that, I don't think this has been true necessarily for quite a while, but somewhere I somewhere I used to work once, uh, somewhere there when they were putting together quotes for uh, for certain services, I remember asking them like, "How on earth do you decide how much to charge for a service based on the SLA?" And they said, "It's easy. For every additional point nine they add, we add another zero onto the bill." Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's quite that simple nowadays, but. That certainly worked for a good long time. I mean, any kind of price is not related at all to the cost of manufacturing or the cost of labor. Yeah. The pricing is yeah. set quite simply by what people are prepared to pay for it. Yeah. Anyway, so to, just to round off this article, because it does end off on a on an interesting kind of note, which is uh, around training uh, for these emerging quote-unquote technologies. And you know, what the current um, development priorities are for new tech staff. And it follows, unsurprisingly, the um, the same pattern that we had above. So 78% are investing in cloud-related technologies, 62% are investing in training around AI, and 49% are investing around uh, IoT-related uh, training. But, again, unsurprisingly... 41% indicate that their enterprise is not investing enough in the training uh, for people to, uh, to what they say, navigate the changing technology landscape. Uh, well, it's always changing. It's always evolving. And if you're not investing in your people, they will always be behind. Yeah, I'd also think this kind of, uh, kind of calls back to our corporate culture series where you can force education on people. You can tell people, everybody here is going to do it'll whatever version. Or you can have people be in charge of their own development and ask for pending material, certification costs, whatever, things like that. Mm. I have no idea in this uh, questionnaire which way they were looking at it. Uh, on the one hand, I'm very happy to see that these percentages are higher than the other percentages. 
I mean, mm -hmm. there's more interest in what they're doing today, so there is growth. That's good. But the problem might just be that on the one hand, if the employee feels it's the responsibility of the employer to educate the employee then prepare them for the future, I think that's a bit wrong. It should be a responsibility of the employee to make sure that you're relevant and remain relevant. Employer becomes into the picture to make sure it's facilitate. Mm -hmm. And maybe give some direction. I mean, if I'm working in IT and I want to be a chef cook, a chef cook, chef cook needs to be kind of in, this, <laughs> in the thing, I guess. Uh, but I, I still encounter a lot of organizations where people are looking at management for their, what should I do next? And while it shouldn't be absent, I guess, more and more, especially in the emergent, or was it again, the, the changing technology landscape, typically it's the employee that kind of sees the new stuff coming along before the, the, the leadership level comes in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we're running a little long, so let's just quickly wrap up on one uh, one last amusing uh, news story, which was uh, the the uh, sort of uh, news story back early during early June that the uh, Australian uh, federal Australian federal what they called. Australian, well, Australians, let's say Australian security forces and the FBI uh, running a joint sting operation for two years, I think it was. Um, they basically released a, uh, a encrypted chat app that was specifically targeted at uh, the criminal underground for them to use because uh, WhatsApp was, uh, was not good enough. And... Yeah, criminals just used it in abundance, didn't even bother to check or think where it was actually coming from. And surprise, surprise, uh, after the FBI and Australian authorities had gathered enough information on everybody using it, yes, it was encrypted. Uh, it was not encrypted <laughs> to those law enforcement uh, uh, authorities that actually wrote the thing in the first place. Uh, I can imagine there was a huge amount of of data and intelligence gathered during that uh, that time period, and uh, yes, they they finally swept down at the uh, the start of June and arrested a ridiculous eight hundred people, I think, uh, and confiscated eight tons of cocaine, two hundred fifty guns, and more than forty eight million dollars. In various worldwide currencies and cryptocurrencies. Ah, oh, dear. Anyway, uh, it, yeah, some twelve thousand encrypted devices were used by around three hundred criminal syndicates in more than a hundred countries. Real, real smart. Yeah, but they also got lucky, right? I mean, a couple of the other encrypted services out there kind of went down, bankrupt, or got rolled up, and their service kind of remained as the, let's do that one then. It does, however, yep. pose the question, or uh, yeah, pose the question, I guess. When do you know that a certain technology, a certain product is safe? Now, in this example, of course, safe means unsafe. 
So it's it's valid on both ends of, well, the, of the spectrum. D- let's depend, say, yeah, depending on your <laughs> on your perspective of it all, yeah, exactly. But I would imagine that these criminals, I mean, these are criminal syndicates. These are not just uh, the, the little pocket snatcher in the street. Yeah. These are multi-billion-dollar organizations rivaling yeah. the Googles and the Microsofts on the white hand on the white side, if they're white. Um, how can they have fallen for this? Government operations are notorious for being leaky sieves. They've got enforcers and informers everywhere on both sides of the thing, and still this was a successful over a long period of time. I'm really amazed that this actually yeah. worked this as well as it did. And uh, the yeah. next thing, of course, is then uh, what are the criminals going to do now? Go back to uh, pigeons or something? <laughs> I do not know. I do not know. Because that's a long-reaching um, result, right? I mean, now they've been bitten yeah. once. They need to find another tool. Are they going to build them themselves? Feels unlikely. Well, they need to run on the internet, even on the dark web. You still are somewhat dependent on services and things. On you lose that control again. It's the whole yeah, yeah. It uh, it it reminds me of a um, uh, police series, uh, U.S. police series back in the day, The Wire, when it, it starts off and and they're sort of. They're using the literally the name of it. They're running wiretaps on phones to find out what the what the criminals are doing, and uh, then you know people move to burner phones, and all of a sudden, like wiretaps are useless overnight because there's no way for them to wiretap a burner phone that gets used once and then got rid of, and then they find ways to get around that, and like the the cycle continues to move. The cycle continues to evolve, uh, much like the ever-changing technology landscape. Same is true for the ever-changing criminal landscape. It's called uh, race. Well, yeah, pretty much. Um, I know years ago, I was kind of skeptical when people said that encryption technology was subject to arms legislation that couldn't be exported from the US. Yeah. In the end, basically, this is it, right? Yeah. I mean, was it the PlayStation... Was it the PlayStation 2? that couldn't get exported to certain countries because it, it contained um, significant um, processing power that could be networked and therefore used to crack encryption. Potential, because uh, PlayStation 2 was the first one you could actually network, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah I, think it, I think it was the PlayStation 2. It could have been PlayStation 3. I don't know. I'm not a it's not going to be the PlayStation 5 because you can't buy those anyway. So. No, no, indeed. That, that problem is solved. We don't need to worry about uh, about people networking those together and breaking encryption because no one can get hold of them. Well, except scalpers and crypto miners. Anyway, with that, I think that is pretty much the end. Unless there's anything else from you, Jan. Uh, nope. As usual, you were right when I said uh, we wouldn't be able to fill the time and you said I was crazy. Yes, indeed. Jan continues to underestimate the amount of talking that we can and do do over 250 episodes full. So with that, that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, do all the YouTube things, please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Elephant tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, 
My name is Still Encrypted Dave. And my name is Still Waiting for that AI to in, enhance my brain emergent technology. Yum. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. I was going to say Johnny Mnemonic, but I think that's too niche. <laughs> Where's the dolphin coming to?